Our lesson text this morning is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 44. And in the Pew Bibles, that'll be on page 781. And while you're turning there, let me give you just a little background on this one verse. You might remember that uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had besieged Jerusalem and taken Jews captive, and uh, as part of the captivity, uh, Daniel was a captive. And Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he was disturbed by that dream, and he wanted it interpreted, and nobody, uh, none of his soothsayers or whatever could could interpret that dream. Uh, But Daniel said, the God of heaven can interpret that dream. And he brought him in, and he told him what the dream was, And the interpretation of that dream. And as you remember, uh, that dream was of a figure and it would be the kingdoms that uh, would come after uh, Nebuchadnezzar on down to the Roman kingdom. And then in verse 44, it says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break into pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It is good to have you. It encourages us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. I hope you'll be prayerful and looking forward to homecoming. A week from today, it's exciting to think about the good things that the Lord has done here in in the lives of individuals of this congregation over the past 115 years. We want to take some time to think about that and to appreciate it. Uh, Keep in mind the activities of the morning are are the regular schedule. And uh, if you are feeling real good and healthy and you'd like to come just a few minutes early and park over in the 2040 parking lot or if uh, weather permitting probably back in the grass area in the back close to the trailer lot that we bought on second avenue uh, that would probably be good but again uh, as i said a few weeks ago we want to remind you we're not expecting any kind of overcrowding problem because we have two services and we even have the simulcast still available uh, so Uh, We have gone to great lengths to try to make this a stress-free day. And so we hope that you will enjoy uh, the opportunity to visit with each other at lunch, whether it's in your home or going out to eat together, uh, and then come back here at 2 o'clock for uh, a past, present, and future program that will last about an hour. Then at 3.15, we will begin our worship that we'll call our second worship of the day. There will not be a 6 p.m. worship here Sunday night, a week from tonight. So keep that in mind and make your your plans there. Also, uh, it will be a singing night. And so uh, we'd like for you song leaders to be ready to each lead a song. And we look forward to that time together. As we've already been praying, let's continue to pray throughout the day for our team that is returning today from the Ukraine. Uh, they should arrive between somewhere between 8 and 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, at least that's the last I've heard if their plans have not been altered. And so let's be sure and be prayerful for them. It's wonderful to be in a congregation where people are so ready to serve. And while they have been away, we have seen so many of you teach classes, lead singing, 
Uh, the Mittens right now are leading a youth group of over 30 children in Phil's absence. And it's just great to see a congregation where people pitch in and, and they do their part and help each other out. And let's make sure that we're always uh, people that love God and love each other and, and love the community around us and the world around us. And let's reach out. I thank God on a regular basis that I'm allowed to be a part of your congregation and part of your life. I look forward every day when I get up to being a part of the life of this church. And I thank you so much for the opportunity. We went to Dayton earlier this year on a mission trip. And I suppose that someone knocked on Jesse Sullivan's door. You see, we knocked on every home in Dayton. He has quite a story to tell. You see, in 2001, he was in electrical accident and both of his arms were amputated as a result of that tragedy. Now, he is the first bionic man. Now, if I just told you about this, you might think, wow, what would that be like for someone to really be a bionic man? Well, when Associated Press came out with this story, they put a picture so that people could see what it would be like. And then they did an interview to talk with him and to talk with doctors and surgeons so that we could learn what it would be like for someone to have this kind of procedure and, and to have this available to them. There's literally nerve endings that are attached to this robotic arm, if you will, on both arms. And he's able to have four very distinct movements, whereas you and I have 22 movements. He has the movement of the rotating of the shoulder, the bending of the elbow, the rotation of the wrist, and the opening and closing of his hand. And he's so thankful for that. It's interesting to hear him talk about what it's like to be in this kind of situation. Doctors told him not to go easy on it, to really put it to a test. He climbs ladders, he paints. He even tore the end of his hand off as he was cranking a push mower the other day. It's interesting to hear his, his grandson. He's four years old. And he says... Oh, it's not like it's magic or anything. But at that very moment, he puts a nut into his granddaddy's hand and says, See if you can crack that, Pawpaw. <laughs> now, he's quick to explain, that is, Pawpaw, he's quick to explain that he's not the $6 million man that many of us grew up watching or you watched throughout the 70s. But he is thankful that he now has arms and he has that kind of movement and ability to no longer be handicapped to the extent that he was. When we think about understanding things, it helps when people can paint pictures for us when it's something that we've never seen before. It helps when we can hear discussion about it where people say it's like this. You see, that's really what Matthew the 13th chapter is about. The church, which is the kingdom of heaven on earth, the church had not been yet established. That came about in Acts 2. And so in Matthew, the 13th chapter, Jesus was trying to tell them this is what it's like. Now, we're going to go there in just a moment. But by way of introduction, let's look again back to Daniel, the second chapter. Hundreds of years before the church was established, it was prophesied that it would come to pass. And as the scripture reading has so been so capably read for us, we're reminded of Daniel's interpretation, not only of the interpretation of the dream, but he's able actually to recount the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And it's there that that image is told that, hey, this is what you dreamed. And let's drop back and let's read 31 through 34 and get a glimpse of that image. He says, oh, you, O king, were watching and behold a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. 
This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, and its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces." Now, what he's doing here is he's talking about the various kingdoms that would come, beginning there with that of Babylon, and that it would follow, leading all the way to the Roman Empire that, of course, would be the same time period that the church would be established. Now, when we look at the screen there, you see what historically we learn about what these things represented. We see that it was Babylon and Medo-Persia and then uh, Alexander the Great brought about the Greek Empire and then finally the Roman Empire. And it was during that empire that we have the church being established, a kingdom that came not with man's hands, but cut out of the stone without hands. Now, let's read verse 44 again, because... I'm assuming this is something we know, but still hear it anew and and appreciate it afresh. That the fact that you and I can be a part of a kingdom that lives on and on. Notice again 44. And in these days of these kings, talking about in the Roman days, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all the kingdoms and it shall stand forever. So this kingdom's going to come about. And it's going to be a kingdom that's going to be a marvelous blessing because we can be a part of this kingdom and we can be a part of this kingdom forever. The kingdoms that has been referred to earlier, those kingdoms have come and gone. You know, there was a day when people probably could not imagine that the Roman Empire would actually be destroyed. There may be people today that just can't imagine a day that there may not be a United States of America. What we learn when we study history is we learn that no civilization lasts forever. But we do learn that we can be a part of a kingdom that lasts forever. Now when we think about any kingdom, but especially as it relates to the Lord's kingdom, we know that we have to have a king. And so as we look at the next slide, of course we know that we want to be a part of the Lord's kingdom. He is the king. And then kingdoms have to have subjects. They have to have territories. And the Lord's kingdom is... Is not bound by geographical boundaries. In other words, it's not for a certain continent or for a certain country. But we know that it's in the hearts of individuals that will submit their life wholly to Jesus Christ. And so therefore, those that are Christians, those that are part of the Lord's church, can be a part of the kingdom of heaven as we live under this new covenant. That is the law that governs the kingdom now as it is on earth. And so as we think about this everlasting kingdom, this kingdom that's going to endure forever, surely we would all say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the kingdom that while it's on this earth now, it's the church. And then it'll be translated into heaven. And and I want to be a part of that kingdom that lives forever and stands forever with God. With this in mind... What is it that we can learn about the kingdom? In other words, if you will be turning to Matthew the 13th chapter. As we go to Matthew the 13th chapter, the kingdom of heaven is like what? What is it that we can learn? Well, there are many parables in Matthew 13. Each of these parables are to help us to have a better understanding what the kingdom of heaven would be like. A parable, as you remember, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. 
The idea behind that little cliche that does help us remember it is the fact that earthly things are things that we're familiar with those things. And so there's sometimes spiritual things that it's hard for us to get our mind wrapped around those concepts. And so Jesus would oftentimes take the things that were very familiar to them and he would begin with those and people would say, well, I understand that. Sometimes they wouldn't understand, though, how that earthly familiar thing ties into a spiritual lesson. And so then he would take them through that next step and say, Okay, now if you understand this, learn this lesson from this particular parable. And so it is. That's what he does throughout Matthew, the 13th chapter, is he's saying, let's take some common everyday things and let's see what spiritual lessons we can learn about the kingdom of heaven. Now, we won't have time to go through many of these, but... We'll especially look at one, the first one this morning, and then mention a couple of things out of the, of the second one as we extend the invitation. Let's look at the 13th chapter in verse 3. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, but because they had no depth of the earth, but when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, and others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, this would have been easy for them to understand, and, and probably it's pretty easy for most of us here this morning to understand. I ask you to just paint this little picture in your mind. There's been a, a field that's been disc, it's ready to sow, and off the edge of this field, you have to have a way to approach this field, so there's a pathway. Maybe it's a lane large enough to drive a piece of equipment, but there's this lane or this pathway to approach the field. Well, on the edge of the field, there's where some water has run off, and, and it's kind of like a rocky, gully area, if you will, but yet there's still dirt over the top of that area. And then you have the field, but in places in the field, in the corners, on the edges, it's kind of where the field moves into the area of weeds, and so... When the, the sower goes out to sow, some of those seeds will fall into the good ground. Some will go over there to the edge where they'll come up, but yet it'll be a mixture of them as well as the, the weeds. The, and then there'll be some that'll just go into that very shallow ground that's just a few inches of dirt over the top of a rock. And, and when it grows, there's not enough root there to, to sustain that plant, especially when the hot sun comes out. And then... And then there's those seeds that fall in the pathway and the birds immediately come and and they eat that. Disciples couldn't understand why he was taking something so down to earth and teaching it as if it were a spiritual message. Let's read the next three verses and see what Jesus says. He closes this parable... At this point in the paragraph, by saying in verse 9, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries, now here's the phrase, of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not been given. In other words, there were those that had no 
desire to follow God. They had no desire to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so they weren't going to submit their life to Jesus. And so they weren't going to gain any kind of appreciation or any benefit out of these teachings. And Jesus says, I'm going to teach right now in the form of parables. And those that want to learn are going to learn a lot. And those that do not want to submit to me, they're not going to gain anything from these teachings. And friends, the same is true this morning. As we study this parable this morning, there would be hundreds and even a few thousand people within just a few miles of this building that they could care less about the kingdom of heaven. They could care less about the teachings of God. And we're here this morning studying the parables of Jesus because we want to learn from Jesus. We want to be a part of the Lord's kingdom. And even today, we will gather a benefit from this study, whereas even those around us They will not appreciate the teachings of Jesus. They do not have, at this point in their life, a desire to be a part of the kingdom. And so Jesus says, I'm giving this to those that want a knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. You want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? He says, you understand the spiritual significance of this parable, and you're going to understand something about the kingdom of heaven. Look with me, if you will, now in verse 18, and let's see Jesus explain this to them. And 18, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So that's the pathway there. It just stayed on top of the ground. Satan came and plucked it right up before it affected that individual's life at all. Verse 20. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the world, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Notice, he becomes unfruitful. He was fruitful, but now he becomes unfruitful. And then we read 23, but he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. So he takes this parable that they understood from an agricultural sense and he he says, see what happens based upon what individuals do when they hear the Word of God? Those that don't let it affect them at all, they never take it into their heart. It only comes into their ears, so therefore they really don't hear. They really don't see and understand. He says those are the individuals that Satan can take it away just like that. Pause and think for a moment. Why is it important that Satan takes it away? Because it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Remember Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God and salvation. See, Satan doesn't want this word lying around our heart because it contains power to change people's lives. And so every chance Satan gets, he's going to take it away. He's going to get it out of our life. He's going to get it out of our mind. When we are committed to learning the will of God, studying deeper in the will of God, Satan wants to take it away any time we're willing to turn loose of it. And then there's those that with joy, they receive it, but yet they're on the shallow ground. And then some persecution arises, some kind of tribulation comes, and it's time to make a a Christian stand. And that individual doesn't have enough roots. Why? 
because the Word is not deep into their lives. And then He shows those that they are on deeper soil. As a matter of fact, they have produced some fruit in their life, but yet the problem is they're growing right in the midst of weeds. Now notice what the weeds are. In this teaching here, Jesus says, the weeds are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches of the world. Now think about it. We have to make a living. If we're going to please God, we do, because He says that it, if a man will not provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel, that's a non-believer, and denied the faith. So what you and I have to do also is live in a world that does have cares that surround us. So what's the teaching here? Jesus is showing us the importance that as we grow in our spiritual life for us to keep in balance and make sure that the Word of God stays preeminent in our life and that we place a greater trust upon God and upon His Word than we do upon our riches and upon the cares of the world. It's so easy for us to get so wrapped up in all the cares of our family and of our job and of our hobbies and and education and entertainment. The next thing you know, it's not that any of those things perhaps in and of themselves are bad, but they have overshadowed the opportunity that we could have had to learn the Word of God better, to grow. And then the riches, to make money, to make a living, to get ahead a little bit, etc., What do we have to do? We have to make sure that those things don't choke out my desire to learn God's Word, to submit to God's will, to place a trust in God that's greater than a trust in my career, my finances, and etc. Now, notice, he says these things choke the Word of God. What comes to your mind when you think of that? I have to be honest with you, after I read some news this week, there was a new image that I never had come to mind before when I thought about choking. Did you see that, that short article in, in several of the uh, news sources this past week about the man that broke into a woman's house and he was going to kill her with a hammer? And as he went to attack her, she was a large enough woman that she was able to take the hammer away from him force him down, and with her bare hands, she choked him to death. Well, I've got an image of a dead man. What do the cares and the riches of the world do to a spiritual life? We can't be alive, according to this parable, spiritually without the Word of God in the depths of our heart and being obeyed. And so we've got this Word growing and it's active and we're submitting to God and His will. And then we have these cares over here struggling against it. We have these riches over here struggling against it. And He's saying if if you allow these things to actually work against the Word of God, instead of becoming blessings in our life, they become weeds in our life. And they put to death that that was good. Wouldn't it be a shame if God gave you and I the jobs that we have so that we could take care of our family and and be generous in, in good deeds and we use that very good thing that He's given us to choke out His will in our life? Wouldn't it be a shame if He if we took our family and the responsibilities that we have in our daily lives and we took those things and allowed those to be the very things that choke out the Word of God in our life. But notice that 
last one. It's the good soil. And I'd like to read that one. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have a slide for it, but Luke, I'd like to read that from Luke, the eighth chapter. It's the same parable, but I like the way verse 15 of Luke eight, I like the way it words it here. It's almost like a step one, step two, step three, step four. And Luke eight and 15, he's describing this same uh, this is Luke's account of the same parable, and now we're talking about the good soil. And notice what he says in 15. He says, But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who have heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it, and bear fruit with patience. What's the good soil? It's people that say, oh, I love to study the Word of God. I love to hear the Word of God. I love to go to classes where we study the Word of God. Good soul. That's people that say, I can't live without the Word of God. Give me the Word of God. But they, they don't have an idea that says, oh, that, that kind of stepped on my toes. I better find another verse that says something different. I better figure out a way to make that say something different. No, it's a good, it's a noble and good heart. It's an honest heart. You see what he's saying here? It's a heart that says, Lord, thy will be done. If I read it in here and it is contrary to my life, I'll change my life, Lord. I won't try to change your will. I won't rebel against you. Lord, your will be done. A good, honest heart. Now notice that word has to penetrate into a good and honest heart, just like the seed has to go into good soil. And then, notice what happens. We keep it. Literally obey. The word obey, if you study the root of obey, remember it means to hear and do. That's the root of obey, to hear and do. So here is a soul. We've heard the word of God. It's from a heart that is submissive to the will of God. So we live out the word of God. Now, what does it produce? Produce fruit for the Lord. What's your ability What's the opportunities God surrounded you with? Are you doing it? There might be some here this morning says, you know, I really don't know why I don't do that. I, I, I ask myself that. I'm disappointed in myself. I don't know why. I see the abilities God gives me. I see opportunities. I just don't do it. I want to challenge you to think on this. This isn't wisdom for men. This is the Word of God. Get deeper into your study. I don't believe there's such a thing as someone that is serious, a serious student of God's will. With an honest heart that would not be producing fruit. That's the good soul. That's what the Lord says. That's the good soul. It's ones that are serious in their relationship with God and His will, God and His word. Now... As we close out this lesson, I'd like to go back to Matthew, the 13th chapter, and just remind you of another parable that begins in 24. And it was where some individuals went out to sow, and they were sowing good seed. But yet, whenever the crops started really growing and maturing, they realized something's happening. Not everything growing here is the crop. And so they go to the Lord and they ask, they ask the owner of the field, what's happened here? And this is what his answer is in 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. 
there had been more than one person sowing in this field. The good men, the righteous individuals went out and they, they were sown, if you will, in this field. And as everything was growing, it was hard to tell the difference. If you'll picture wheat, it looks like many different grasses when it's coming up. But when it stands, yea, tall, and it starts to form a head, then it becomes very obvious which is the wheat and which is another form of grass. You see, it was at that time that the people realized in this story, not everyone in this field is really producing fruit. They ran back and asked the owner, why was that happening? He says, the devil's come in and he's also sown in this field. Should we try to remove everybody right now that's not producing? No. He says, you wait and let me and my angels take care of that on that great day of harvest, the day of judgment. Friends, it's not our place in the church to go around and say, when's the last time you visited a widow that's in need? When's the last time you've done something for an orphan? When's the last time you visited a hospital? When's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you studied your Bible? Have you prayed every day, three times a day? It's not our place to put up some kind of test. And, and if you don't bear these kind of fruits in your life, we're going to throw you out of the church. That's not our place. But the Lord says, you can count on this. There will always be some that are growing among you. Well, they're not growing much. They're not producing any fruit. And even though they may convince themselves that they're right with God, He says, we'll settle that account in the end. What a blessing. I have a hard enough time being prepared for Judgment Day myself. It would scare me to death to think that I was responsible for all of you guys too. I can be responsible for me though. You can be responsible for you. We can be the good seed. We take the good seed that's the Word of God in the first parable and we become the one that's planted in the second parable. This morning, here's what I have to look out for. Did you notice when that bad seed was planted in the second parable? While men slept. Spiritually speaking, apathy is killing us. A lot of things come into our life. A lot of things come into our churches. A lot of things come about when people sleep spiritually. So this morning, let's wake up. If you're a child of God and faithful, stay alert, stay sober, be vigilant, fight the enemy and courageously serve God and encourage others to do so also. We're not going to answer for each other on the day of judgment, but we can definitely encourage others and we can help others grow. And let's do everything that we can do. This morning, if you're not a child of God, won't you come and and be baptized into Christ? And when we're baptized into Christ, we're added to His body, the church. If you're ready to repent of sins and confess before men, won't you do that this morning? Maybe somewhere along the way, you have been baptized into Christ, but yet your life just hasn't produced the fruit. Won't you recommit your life this morning? Repent of your sins. Let's confess our faults and let's pray one for another. And let's leave here this morning ready to be dedicated wholly to God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.